Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. We're going to turn to Grant Masterson, and we're going to talk a bit about the new legis- the new law, and its effect practically on reporting of campaign contributions or contributions to political parties generally. Previous to this law, it was pretty much the Wild West in a in, in a fairly chaotic and uh, uh, non-revelatory way. But now there are quarterly reports and political parties have to report contributions above a certain amount. And this presumably has changed the political landscape somewhat, and it should give voters at least an inkling as to who supports whom and why. Grant? Morning, Brooks. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's right. Um, we we do now sort of, I guess, celebrate or, or at least mark or commemorate one year since the bill uh, became uh, enforced in, in an act, and so we now have uh, four quarters or one year of uh, a report on um, political party contributions from private individuals. I think just just to uh, correct one one perhaps misapprehension is that we did since uh, 1998 have uh, public public funding regulated for political parties. So previously there was a parliamentary fund which disbursed public monies to various political parties and that was regulated and parties had to report back to parliament also on a quarterly basis uh, on how they had uh, spent those monies. Um, and uh, you may recall previously that, uh, you know, COPE got into a bit of trouble for spending uh, the public monies that they got um, from that parliamentary fund uh, in an inappropriate way. So mm. we, we, have, we, we have had public funding regulated. What, what we're talking about here is the uh, funding from private individuals who have been able to just, they've been able to remain in the background, invisible. They've been able to, to remain unaccountable in, in, in any form. And of course, why, why do we need accountability for people who are giving someone money? Well, I think we understand that there is a very unhealthy relationship between uh, the types of monies and donations made to certain parties and the types of favors that are returned in order to, to, to get those monies. So I think it's a very important step that we've taken in South Africa. Uh, one of the things that's always struck me about the, the discussion about political contributions, uh, particularly with the United States, is the assumption by people that a contribution is in effect an, uh, an effort to loosely put, quote unquote, bribe a politician into doing something. And I, I think there's a there's, it actually should be phrased a little differently. People give money to parties or 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 candidates because the the giver and the receiver have the same or similar political or economic ideas, goals, and aspirations. It's it's not as if you give money to somebody who you dislike and who has ideas that are antithetical to yours in the desperate hope that they'll suddenly wake up and change their minds. Yeah, that's, 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 I think, an important point. We shouldn't just simply conflate donations to parties or contributions to parties to some sort of effort to get kickbacks or, or patronage or, or some other type of uh, return benefit. Um, so, so there are many different reasons why um, someone in a private capacity may wish to make a contribution to a political party. In South Africa, we have this particularly unique, well, not unique, but a very interesting situation where you have donors who uh, 
don't want to be seen to be partisan in any way. And so they give similar contributions to a range of different political parties with, with quite a, a diverse spectrum of ideologies. So it's almost as though they're just supporting uh, the broader democratic process of having political parties and allowing for the, the, the functioning of multiple parties. Um, and so some of the, the donors that, uh, that, that have appeared in the, in the audit reports that the IC has produced, you can see that they have made contributions at, um, uh, to the same level across the ANC, the DEA, Action SA, uh, IFP, EFF. You can see that these, these contributions have been um, made in, in a very fair and even-handed way. And of course, that uh, comes to your point, that it's not just about uh, corruption, kickbacks and patronage. I mean, that gamblers will understand that intuitively as hedging one's bets on the idea that you can go back to the, the party concerned later on if they're in charge of something and say, well, see, we did give you your party some money. Forget about all that other money went to all those other people. Indeed. And I think that that reintroduces the, the, the concept that even, even while we can imagine a world in which there are altruistic um, ideas uh, where, where you fund people for you know, no particular gain on your part, there is always some sort of quid pro quo. We're speaking with Grant Masterson of the Electro, Electro, Electoral Institute. I keep saying electrical, and I don't think you're an electrical engineer. Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And we're back in, in, in the studio. Actually, well, I'm back in my kitchen and my guest is at home and the studio is managing everything through the courtesy of all those obedient electrons. And we're talking with Grant Masterson, uh, the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa. And we're talking about the political contributions uh, law that's in effect and the way it is shaping or potentially reshaping South African political processes and democracy. Uh, one of the things people have noticed and have pointed out to me is that so far at least in the reports that have been filed and made public, there appear to be lots of little contributions. And then uh, for some of the parties, one or two major contributions indicating something. What is the something that this says? Yeah, I, I think because this is all new, we're, we're kind of trying to, try, trying to figure out what this does tell us. And, and I think at the moment, there, there isn't quite necessarily consensus about what, uh, what the, the question you've asked uh, uh, can be answered. But yeah, the, there is clearly a, a, a very few number of large patrons for the party. So if you just look at, say, the African National Congress, they got uh, three contributions up to the maximum amount allowable of 15 million rand, which accounts for nearly 70% of the total contributions that they received for, uh, for the period of the 12 months. So three contributions and 70% of the, the money's received. And, and quite clearly, those three contributions are going to be quite significant to the African National Congress. Uh, for the DA, uh, similarly, two contributions uh, totaling 15 million rand uh, per, per contribution. And, and so that was also a, a significant chunk of the monies received by them. And you have to imagine 
therefore that a party that is receiving a contribution of 15 million rand from a single source is going to pay attention to perhaps the phone calls that that source might have to the party if they want to talk about something if they were to meet at some sort of fundraiser of course you imagine that that donor would certainly get a sort of preferential treatment or, or, or certainly be taken very seriously by the party, even assuming that there is nothing untoward going on because of the relative scale of contribution that such few donors have made. Now, if, if I gave a thousand rand to the party of my choice or several to hedge my bets uh, and you gave 15 million, I guess your phone call would be taken first. That, 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 that would be my assumption as well, yep. And of course, um, the, the 15 million rand contribution is limited within a 12-month period. Now we've had 12 months since the reporting, which means that those contributors are now um, at, at liberty to make another contribution up to the same limit of 15 million rand for the following 12 months. Uh, so uh, certainly at this point, I imagine the phone call would be taken even more rapidly. Right, because we, we the clock starts all over again, and there's a chance at least a chance uh, of another big check or EFT, I guess now. <laughs> we don't, don't deal in checks anymore. I mean, years and years ago, uh, I mean, back in the, uh, goodness, back in the 1970s and 1980s, what was then the Progressive Party and then the Progressive Federal Party and, and then whatever else it became along the way until it became the, Demo the, the DA, a significant portion of its contributions ultimately came one way or another from the purse of the man who was uh, largely in charge of Anglo-American. He'd, he'd originally been a, a, a member of parliament, in fact, uh, for, for a short while. Uh, and the story is that that helped keep it afloat in the tough years. Uh, and similarly now with the African National Congress, the fact that there was one enormous contribution against a bunch of minnows from a mining magnate who does not live here, should that set alarm bells for us? Should, should we be interrogating this more deeply and thoroughly as to what in the world a mining uh, corporation head whose residence is abroad sees in the country here in the parliamentary and electoral processes? Absolutely. Look, I, I think that one of the really positive things about having this private uh, funding regulation uh, in place now is that it is required for all of the parties who uh, send public representatives to sit in, in parliament and in the provincial assemblies and at municipality level to declare who is funding them. Because the, 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 the theory is that the uh, representative owes their allegiance to the voter because without the voter, they don't get voted into power. But it's not that simple, as we know. Uh, the money that they need to get elected to run campaigns and to, uh, to continue to sustain their parties comes from these private donors, by and large. And so the influence of these private donors is often viewed as trumping the interests of the voter who they represent. So anytime you can see who is funding a party, you can and you should now be interrogating what perhaps is the influence that this particular contribution has had on the, the policies, on the positions of a party. And it just demystifies things that we really haven't been able to demystify officially. Uh, you've had to rely on investigative journalists to kind of dig up dirt in the past on who might be funding 
doing these things and why a party has adopted a position. So I, I think just in general, not just for the ANC, but for all of the parties, we, we, we have the opportunity and we absolutely should be taking the opportunity to interrogate the funding uh, picture that we are starting to see form in South Africa. I mean, you raise an interesting question uh, in my mind. Uh, you, you, you note that a political party, by definition, needs money to make things work. Uh, they need money for obvious stuff. They need money for campaign uh, expenses to move from point to point, to go to rallies, to pay for rallies and pay for phone banks and pay for pamphlets and publications and now increasingly electronic media. They need money to pay uh, staff uh, who uh, aren't necessarily able to work for free uh, unless they're really rich and really committed. Uh, and that reminds me, of course, of, of one of my favorite aphorisms from Amer American politics from the, uh, the one-time mayor of San Francisco, uh, Willie Brown, who described money in the following term. He said, money is the mother's milk of politics. And yep, that's right. And, uh, you know, when when you look at the, the, the contributions that we know of, we also have to now start asking the question, is this the full picture? Uh, and I don't know that I've spoken to anyone yet who believes that the, the, the current picture as it stands is reflective of the full picture of how parties are, are fully funded. What we are getting is we're getting a partial a partial insight into some of the the big ticket contributions. But uh, again, we've got to remind ourselves that we we have come through the Zondo Commission with uh, lurid details of of all kinds of of monies being passed around all over the place, including um, for the purposes you've described now or to the benefit of political parties. And and we we need to recognize that it's very unlikely that those contributions are going to be declared uh, upfront and publicly, despite the fact that the law requires exactly that. All contributions uh, above a certain threshold, which is 100,000 Rand, must be declared to the IEC, and failure to do so comes with penalties. So, you know, the, we're, we're seeing some of this mother's milk you talk about, but we're not seeing the, 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 the full supply at this stage. And I think that that's what the, the, the attention of the IC, uh, as well as, you know, organizations like ISA and My Vote Counts that monitor this kind of thing is turning to now is how can we uh, increase the accuracy of the picture that the IC is reporting on? In other words, if I, in the, out of the goodness of my heart, arrange for a couple of cousins an aunt and two or three of my neighbors to give magnificently from their spare time to work on behalf of the XYZ party. Somehow I'm not reporting that, although you're implying that the IEC would like to have a note from me about that. Yeah, that's right. We, we were also um, uh, waiting for, I think, the, the annual uh, audit reports that have been submitted to the IEC. Um, that those don't have to be released in full in public, um, but the um, the IEC does need to satisfy themselves with the, the the full picture, not just the highlights that we see in in terms of big ticket contributions. We also need to see the full picture here, and so this this act has has really put a lot of. A, a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of the IEC to monitor what is a large number of parties in the country. Um, and uh, I know that there is, uh, th there is a huge task ahead of them to, to do this on a continuing basis. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be um, interesting to see when those, those audits are um, 
assessed by the IEC whether there are any issues that they raise and report back to Parliament on. I only want to keep you another couple of minutes, but if you could perhaps give us a sense of how this process here in South Africa stacks up against uh, other uh, nations, perhaps with, within the continent or even beyond, if you could. Yeah, private funding bills are, are not as common as uh, public uh, funding regulations. One of the countries that the IEC did go to do a, a study tour on was the United Kingdom, um, where they looked at the way in which uh, these contributions are regulated. The difference between South Africa's current system is that the Electoral Commission is responsible for taking care of this, where a separate regulator was tasked with the function of monitoring uh, contributions in the United Kingdom. Uh, but those two systems are in, in all, to all effects and purposes, quite similar in other aspects. Another aspect that we borrow from the United States, of course, is that there are upper limits to contributions allowable um, in a particular calendar year. That's been built into our system and the US has as well. Uh, the, the limits in South Africa are significantly lower than the limits uh, placed on such contributions in the United States. And of course, uh, you know, one of the key elements that, that exists in our act, which we haven't had time to talk about, is that there are certain restrictions on who cannot fund political parties, particularly foreign states are not allowed to fund political parties in South Africa. Foreign state entities are also not allowed to fund them. I think that's a very good aspect of our bill. It, it just reduces the possibility of foreign influence through, vote, uh, through, through political party buying as such. That just begs the question as to what constitutes an entity that represents a foreign state in a, in a, in a country X, where most of the enterprises have some sort of government or government connection. Uh, it's possible to uh, argue that they were just private entities rather than conduits on behalf of a, of a government, I guess. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, there's always a bit of a gray area there, but the IEC can make that determination based on the on the act and determine whether or not a particular entity is is disqualified or not. Yeah. Grant, this has been fascinating for me. I've learned a lot. I hope listeners have as well. Um, I hope we can get back to you when we get closer to the next round of elections and and uh, contribution reporting and then you, we can we can talk through what it all means and going forward i i get the feeling from you that this is a significant gain for the electorate and for transparency even if it is not a full win yeah absolutely any any kind of additional transparency brings accountability uh, it's very important and i think we should probably uh, although uh, i'm very positive about it we should end on a cautionary note is in that parliament is asking to relook at some of these conditions of the public funding act at the moment saying that they have some problems with them so the current iteration whilst good may be under review and uh, that may be something that marianne can talk about uh, with the parliamentary timetable coming